Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. to be here with you all. Um, I have a couple things that I wanted to say right off the bat, which is one, I just want to thank you guys for like welcoming me up here this semester. Like this is new to me speaking like this at church. So this has been really great and you guys have been really awesome. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. Um, and two, I want to just take a second since this is our last big hurrah here in Romans and just thank our leader, Amy. <laughs> yes. I sometimes don't think we recognize how, how blessed we are at Temple Bible to have a women's ministry like we do here. Um, and God is really doing... <laughs> it's okay. Who let the dogs out for Amy? <laughs> she's, just, she's just great. And we're so blessed to have a leader like this at Temple Bible. So thank you, Amy Jimenez. We love you. So here we are, friends. We're getting to the end of Paul's letter, right? And this letter, God, through Paul, has told us everything we need to know and more. This week, as we go into 14 through 16, yes, I'm going to talk 14 through 16. It's going to be very long, so put your feet up or whatever. Paul decides to give us some final thoughts because clearly he knows how we like to do things. He's not going to let us off on any technicalities. He's like, I better cover the gray area with these people. No doubt they will need this clarification. (laughs) You're right, Paul. (laughs) We do. Let's jump in. So um, I'm going to cover three things. I think I went the wrong way. No fighting. You know better now. And people matter. So what do we mean when we say the gray area? Well, Paul describes these issues as things that are indifferent or adiphora. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, this is the meaning. Um, In Christian theology, the opinion that certain doctrines or practices in morals or religions are a matter of indifference because they are neither commanded nor forbidden in the Bible. So some things are super specific, right? Like God's deity, don't commit adultery, Jesus is our Savior, These things are non-negotiables, and they're notable in the Bible many times. There's no room for argue here. But what about the other stuff, like where we eat and when we worship, homeschool or public school, political stances, holidays? When is Sabbath? Uh, Issues like this, they're not as clear. So should we sing traditional hymns or the newest Christian music? Should we wear masks or should we not? Let's not go there. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) We could go on all day. (laughs) So Paul begins 14. Accept other believers who are weak in faith and don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will only eat vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. So, I think Paul realizes here that, you know, just like our Jewish and Gentile friends of this time, just like now, we have issues. We fight sometimes. There's things that come up, right? Does anybody have any gluten-free or dairy-free people in their lives? I do. (laughs) 
struggle sometimes. There's bigger struggles, of course. Um, so there's a lot to argue about, right? So, no, so as a sibling, I always remember there was so much fighting going on between us siblings growing up. And my kids love a good fight about them now, between them now. I mean, you could, in my home, like you could just breathe wrong and it could start a fight. You could just wake up or maybe have a side part instead of a middle part. Like there's a whole bunch of things that could cause a stir. <laughs> Here is some real live action footage of the disciples fighting in front of Jesus. I'm the best one. Really? I'm, I'm the, best one. the best one. I'm the best. I'm the best. I am oh, the best oh, disciple oh, oh. he's got. How, how are you the best? I walked on water, didn't I? Walking, really? Oh, that's good. That's good. From where I was sitting, it looked to be more like drowning. Oh, from where you were sitting in the boat, inside the safe little <laughs> boat. Oh, this guy can't even walk on water, Jesus. You see this guy? Well, why walk when you can just run? Oh, okay. So we're bringing this up. This is what we're, this is what we're mm -hmm, doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. That's right. I'm faster and you know it. I'm faster and you know it. I was one time, I hadn't even stretched that day. I was off. I felt <laughs> yeah. off. Okay, Peter, Simon, Simon, Peter, Simon says, whatever your name is. Okay, beloved. I'm pretty good too. Okay, James. Yeah, sure. Okay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the best. Shut up, James. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. <laughs> So they were soon to realize that none of what they were doing was going to earn favor. But by being the best, they weren't earning special favors with God. So Paul asks us this really important question in verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So in other words, who do you think you are? How dare you? Remember the therefores, y'all. And I feel like if there's one word that you leave Romans with, it's the therefore. Like there's so many of them, right? And every time he says therefore, he drops some more knowledge on us, right? So we're going to look at those therefores. Okay, so here's the numbers. So if you want to, you can look at them with me. So if you just want to pop your Bibles open or whatever you want to do. Two, one, you therefore have no excuse who you pass judgment on, someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Remember that? Remember that one, y'all? All right, here's 512. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Remember that one? That was five. Okay, so we got to six. Here's six. Six, four. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We still have a couple more to go. Are you guys ready? Eight, one. Therefore... There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And last, 13.10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So therefore, we don't have any good reason to fight. In fact, we have every reason to support and challenge one another. 
because we all need a Savior. We're all on our own walks with God, but a big part of a big old body of believers all justified through him. We're different now. We don't carry ourselves this way. We don't need to be a stumbling block. We're slaves to Jesus Christ, and part of our Christian walk is to give up our rights, our status, over to him and his church. So we know better, right? We're justified through him. We're saved. We're a new creation. And as part of our maturity, we begin to realize that some might just not know better yet. And we don't know where God is on their masterpiece. Think about the potter's wheel we talked about earlier in our Romans study. Do you remember in Romans 9 when we discussed God's sovereignty over humans? Paul writes, No, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to, some, to the one who created it, Why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars of clay, doesn't he have the right to use the same lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls and who are destined for destruction. So Paul's going back to the Jeremiah days here to make sure that his Roman readers understand God's the boss. God's the judge. He's the potter. We are the pottery. He's crafting you just like he's crafting me. And do we want to get in the way of that for somebody over something trivial? It is brand new clay we're working with sometimes, or it's just clay that just might not be ready yet. So I found this online. I, admittedly, as someone who knows literally zero about the stages of clay, I was interested to learn that pottery is not as simple as just clay and fire. Like, I thought that's what it was. You just made the clay, and then you just fired it up. But it's not. There's different stages in the life of clay. So I have a little chart there that shows you the different stages. But every stage is completely necessary for the end result. The watered-down slip stage helps to form the clay into the plastic stage, which leads to clay that is easy to dry, but also very easy to shape. Timing matters. If the clay is off-centered, it won't set properly, making it necessary to start over. And when it hits the greenware stage, it's completely dried and ready to hit the bisqueware and glazeware phases before completely becoming officially pottery through lots and lots of fire. So there's so much to the process, and it's quite a masterpiece when it's done. God has us all on our own pottery wheels simultaneously. So think back to your days as a new believer. For me, this is easy maybe because I didn't grow up in church culture. It was fairly recent. Um, early in our walk in faith, Ken and I were invited uh, by our Christian mentors, mentors, also our neighbors, Brian and Robin Neriam, to come to their small group. Many of those people in that group are here in this room today. CCSC. <laughs> um, I think back to those days, and I literally just like laugh at myself because I was like that brand new clay. I was saved, but I didn't know about the story. I didn't understand the scripture. I was very basic, and it showed. Sometimes I would say things like, guys, brace yourselves. I'm such a New Testament girl. I just, it's just all about love, and the Old Testament is just death and despair. I said it. I did. Lots of times. <laughs> um, or how about this one? 
So I'm pretty sure the story of Adam and Eve is just a metaphor, right? Like, that sounds a little far-fetched. They were like, oh, wow. (laughs) Um, And I definitely said this. I like to go to church on Sundays when Gary preaches because he's my favorite. Hey, it's good to be humble, y'all. But y'all, these people were gracious. They didn't even laugh, probably. Oh, sometimes they did, but not most of the time. They would ask us questions about what we thought and give us more to chew on with their gentle thoughts. They didn't make us feel like they were above us or that they were, we were like the new people that didn't know anything. They included us in small gestures like meal planning and Christmas projects. They prayed for us, and they have been there for us in every way possible. They participate in uh, Impact each year in our block, and they've virtually paid for every mission trip my kids have ever gone on. They have brought meals when my family has been sick. I mean, these, these people are, are with us. They love us. Um, and I've heard this expression a few times. I've heard this expression, instead of being a stumbling block, be a stepping stone to help spiritual maturity. And I like it, but I think we can go one step further. I want to show you this picture here. I think this is the way I'd like to look at it a little more. People who have been through some stuff, who have varying amounts of faith. I mean, look at that guy leaning over the cliff. Like, you've got to have some trust there. Like, what if that guy next to you drops you? (laughs) What's going to happen? He's far more of a risk taker than those on the left, right? He's sure those others will hold him up. They're all banding together to serve God by pulling up the weaker brother. The new clay that just might not know any better. But they do know better. And because they do, they do better. But notice they're all standing on a rock, Y'all, that rock is God's sovereignty over it all. They're standing right on top of his sovereignty. So me being a New Testament girl and all the nonsense about Adam and Eve and shopping the sermons at church, that didn't change my salvation, and this life group knew that. They could listen to my immature thinking without making a big difference for the group. They knew it would take time. In fact, having newcomers like this around probably gave them an opportunity to use their gifts. And they could trust that God was at the wheel, the potter's wheel, that is. The people in that same group had lived through addiction, divorce, spouses dying, same-sex attraction, abortion, so much more. And in their God-given wisdom, they knew that it would take time for me to learn like it had taken them. And this is all part of our collective spiritual journey together. So moving on into 15, Paul gives us another therefore in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Christ is the example. God is so good to put Christian-like mentors into our paths at just the right times in our lives. Once I had been in my Bible for quite some time and had grown into my church community and was beginning to take shape as that piece of clay, God introduced me to my dear friend, Courtney Tate, who many of you have heard speak in this very room. She is the kind of friend that God sends to sharpen you. She just makes me think. We We don't talk every day because we have so many kids and busy lives, but when we do, we bring it. It's usually about a month's worth of information crammed into 20 minutes. 
and it's on the phone, like where we're cooking dinner or in the car, y'all get a friend like her. You can't have her, but I mean, get a friend like her. <laughs> Just kidding, kind of. So we laugh and bust on each other all the time. And there's truly nothing better than a friend that keeps you humble. When I'm hurt, she validates the hurt first. In her wisdom, Courtney knows that hurt doesn't always come from the correct place in us, and we can't just fix it. Sometimes it comes from those places we don't expect, and it can change our view, and that has to be acknowledged. When I want to vent about someone, you will never believe what they did this time, Courtney. She's often first to humbly say, well, I've done that, and I wonder what's going on with them. Have you tried talking to them? Well, no, Courtney. I didn't think about that one. And that just takes the anger right out of your, your sails, right? And I can't be that mad anymore. And when I'm telling her about something controversial I'm reading or watching, she's like, source, please. God has sharpened her ability to question information she receives because accepting, before accepting it as truth. And she, in turn, has taught me to do this. When I say that I'm offended by something, she will ask why and make me explain it. I can't just come to Courtney and say whatever is in my mistrustful, in need of a savior heart and just leave it. I'm going to have to explain why I have the right to be offended. And it's good to have that kind of accountability because the answer is usually I don't. What about a sin struggle? <laughs> I've told her some hard things and she doesn't even blink. She's not looking at me like some fallen Christian because her heart is broken to sin also. She knows she needs a savior, and she knows I do too. And we talk about through things in the Bible, when God is revealing sin to us, we pray about that. She follows up with me. She sends me things to read and to listen to. She's always trying to get me to do audiobooks. Y'all, I'm not good at podcasts. <laughs> I'm trying. God is using Courtney to lift me up as she is held up by truth. So we go back to that picture. <clears throat> God is using Courtney to shape my pottery. Because we are a new creation, we respond differently to our weaker brother. We help them up. We help the Lord shape that pottery like he wants it. And there's so much hope in that. In verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in the hope. May y'all abound. I love that word. All right, y'all, we're getting to 16. So people matter. So as Paul brings Romans to a close in chapter 16, he does something so interesting to me. He begins to commend those in Rome doing the Lord's work. Quite literally, all of them helped Paul in his various journeys and helped the Lord to continue to create his masterpiece in Paul. Each of these friends, both women and men, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, their families, prisoners even, and more, they have helped encourage, serve, host, and work for God's church and Paul is right there with them. Notice he's not speaking down to them, or, or just even to just the men. He has a tone of partnership with everyone, calling them sisters and brothers and workers in Christ, even acknowledging in verse 3, when Prisca and, and Aquila risk their necks for my life. 
Why didn't Paul just say, thanks everyone out there that's helped me in the church this, thus far. I mean, that could have been a short and sweet 16, right? Thanks everyone, I'm out. But he doesn't do that. Why is that? He was a big deal at this point, right? He's enough of a big deal, he's writing letters to churches telling them what they need to do better. He could have skipped the names, but he doesn't. My opinion is that people matter to Paul. He, cl- he sees their contributions to the mission. He understands that part of the Christian faith is the climb. He understands that you can't make the climb on your own, and God's people need each other like he, he needs these people, and he dearly loves them. They probably did have differences, and there was probably a lot to fight about. I mean, y'all, this is a church plant with a resurrected Savior, food laws, and those who have no law. It was complicated, <laughs> like really complicated. No doubt there was much to debate, but if you look at 16, verse into 16, you will see that there's a lot of love, and it all stemmed from our Savior and what he had done for us. And in verse 16, if they were greeting each other with a holy kiss, it seems like the love was more important than any quarrel, and the world would be taking note of how this would look among Christians. All right, let's pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the breath that you gave Paul to put your word on paper so that we can study it all these years later and it makes sense. We thank you for your church and the people you continue to place in our lives at just the right moments to help shape the pottery you're creating in us. We ask that you help us see the weaker brothers and sisters as a place to encourage and to serve. We ask that you give us stronger brothers and sisters to encourage us and lift us up to your higher ground. Help, to see, help us to see you when we look at them, Lord. We love you. Amen.